Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When we, if we compare the pandemic, the virus in November, COVID-19 in November, and what it's doing to April, is can you compare the two? Is the virus doing what was ex- just doing what was expected? Yeah, exactly. We know we know how this virus is transmitted. We know where it's transmitted. We know who's at risk of having uh, severe infections. We know who's less at risk of having severe infections. It's doing exactly what we would expect it to do, given the circumstances. There really, unfortunately, are no surprises. So when the word lockdown is is mentioned, and you and I have talked about this in the past, when the word lockdown is mentioned, you're in Toronto. Toronto goes into lockdown uh, tomorrow. And later on, we're going to be talking with uh, the executive director of the Municipal Licensing and Standards uh, for the City of Toronto about restaurants that have been fined. But do you think lockdowns is the way to go? Uh, If we combine the medical issue, the health issue, along with the economic factor, which is also health-related, mental health, uh, are lockdowns the way to go? So lockdowns are clearly, i got to be very careful with my words. The nuance is important here. This would never be your first step. This is the last step you're going to take. This is your the final card you're going to play. You would never want to do this. We know how bad these are. We know how detrimental they are to mental health, to physical health, to the economy. Like these are these aren't good. But this is what you do to prevent your healthcare system from being stretched beyond capacity, which we're at risk for and in uh, parts of uh, the greater Toronto area right now. So as imperfect as they are, they are the last step that you're going to take to prevent your healthcare system from being stretched beyond capacity. And we know what happens if your healthcare system is stretched beyond capacity. It's, it's ugly. You saw it in New York. You saw it in Wuhan. You saw it in Houston. You saw it in Northern Italy. That's got to be avoided at all costs. Did we not have situations, and I spoke with an infectious diseases uh, specialist yesterday, uh, and we, he talked about this, and we've had situations in the past where viruses have stretched, overstretched our health capacity, but we didn't close everything. We certainly didn't, but we haven't seen anything like this, and I don't think those are fair comparisons. Now, listen, I don't want people to think, listen to this and say, oh, you know, Bogosh is all pro-lockdown. I actually think this is, sadly, the right measure at this time, because these extreme measures are basically the way that we'll be able to more rapidly get some infections under control. What they don't do is deal with the underlying drivers of infection in the community, which are harder things to address. What they don't do is, you know, and we also have to use the time wisely. While things are shuttered, you have to boost your testing and tracing and isolation capacity. You have to deal with the drivers of the infection in the community so that you can open up and you can do so safely. But, like, no one wants this. This is the last card. There should have been lots of things that were done before this to prevent us from even getting here. It wasn't done, and here we are. Where does the economy fit into the discussion? It should be part of every conversation. It should be part of every conversation from the beginning as well, even well before lockdown. We can't just view this epidemic and pandemic through a health lens and through a public health lens. They're important lenses to view it in, but they can't, it's not. this doesn't work in isolation. We have to view it with a health and a public health lens. We have to view it with an economic lens. We have to view it with a societal value lens. We have to view it with an equity lens. There's lots of different lenses that we should be viewing this in. And those Venn diagrams, believe it or not, 
overlap at some point. And finding that sweet spot is difficult, but I believe we can find it. So uh, the vaccine story. Now, I, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that the head of the vaccine group in, uh, in, in the United States said today, earlier today, on, on U.S. media, that they're expecting that maybe by the second week of November, the vaccine will start to be rolled out in limited numbers, but it'll be started to rolled out in the U.S. across the United States. Uh, I don't know how, I have no way of knowing whether that's realistic or not. What do you think? I, I mean, I did a lot of my training in the United States and still have a lot of friends and colleagues that, that are working in healthcare, and we've, we're all in touch. And many of them have said that they've had meetings with their departments telling them that they might be getting access to vaccination by Christmas. Um, you know, I can't validate that, but those are the conversations that are happening. It's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal because, yeah, I said this once before and I kind of got uh, rocked by it. Uh, there was some pushback, but I really, the more I think about it, the more I believe it. You know, we're not supposed to say that vaccines are really going to be the silver bullet. But they kind of might be the silver bullet. Like if they're as good as even if they're remotely close to what how effective they say they're going to be, this will really, really help. This will really, really help. So if the United States and the FDA um, certifies vaccine, whether it's Pfizer or it's the Moderna or another one, and they're the ones who are the final arbiters. And we'll be speaking with a former associate commissioner of the FDA later on the show today. If the FDA certifies it, what impact does that have on Canada's certification process? Anything at all? No, it really shouldn't. It really shouldn't even touch our certification process. Health Canada should be looking at this completely independently from anyone else. And I'm sure they look at maybe taking into account, but it should influence their decisions. And in fact, we've seen even throughout this pandemic, the FDA has given emergency authorization for a couple of things. For example, some serologic tests. When we were talking about diagnostic testing and health cannabis said, nope, no thanks. These are garbage. We're not going to deal with them. And they said that rightfully so and protected us from having garbage tests uh, roll out in, in Canada. So Health Canada will do its job independently as it will. The good thing with this, I know many people are skeptical, but I think one of the good things about this is that they have uh, rolling submissions. So these companies aren't just dumping data onto Health Canada for approval. They've been gradually releasing their data to Health Canada. So Health Canada is already looking at the data and they they get to hit the ground running. They're not starting from scratch. So I think that timeline, that duration of time is going to be lower for Health Canada to give it the yay or the nay. I'm not a betting man. I'm not a betting man. But I think if we look in the crystal ball, Health Canada is going to give it the thumbs up. And I think it is very reasonable to expect vaccine programs to start rolling out in Canada in the first quarter of 2021. It really is amazing, isn't it, that we've, that we've come this far as a vaccine development is concerned? Because if you go back, uh, you can go back 41 years to when HIV was first uh, talked about, first discovered, first uh, a really significant health threat. And 41 years later, there's no vaccine for it. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, some, you know, there's different intricacies with different viruses and different components that might make it easier or harder to develop a vaccine. But Roy, I mean, we've been talking for months and months and months. And like, we've only known this infection has existed for less than a year. And there appears to be two and very likely more successful vaccines uh, that are imminently going to be ruled out. Like, this is just phenomenal science. And, and, and like, in all fairness, they didn't start from scratch, right? Like, the, the, the platforms that they're using to create these vaccines have been around for decades and have been used successfully for decades. So, so they didn't start from scratch. But on the other hand, like... You know, we're talking about logistics of vaccine rollout. And, and several months ago, 
you know, we were having completely different conversations. This is this is remarkable. Yeah. Do you know, I remember exactly when I first heard about this virus. And it was a small story that I read uh, somewhere. It's like two or three paragraphs about a virus that had broken out in a place called Wuhan, China. And it was starting to you know, create some concerns in that particular part of China. And I looked at it and I thought, yeah, okay, so maybe that's going to be a virus that's going to be uh, bothering us a little bit over the winter. And huh. yeah, and here we are. And I remember, I remember that so well, Doctor Bogosh, reading that little story and thinking, wow. yeah, so yeah, so, so 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 it's a virus, and it'll be, you know, we'll take care of it. And uh, and it's changed, it's changed our entire planet, uh, Doctor Bogosh. Interesting email from uh, a listener, Dawn. She writes, "Could you ask Doctor Bogosh if he's one hundred percent sure?" These shutdowns will work. If they don't, what next? Another two weeks? Uh, also, what's happening to rapid testing? Oh, got an hour? Okay, let's boil this down into a couple of things. The shutdown, like we said, it stinks. But we need to do something that will at least lower, uh, lower the cases or stop the cases from rising. It's not going to solve all our problems. We have to be completely open and transparent of that. We might see a plateau. I think we'll see at least a, sl- a, a slow down in the growth of new cases per day, and we might see a plateau. But it's not addressing the drivers of infection in the community. Those are more challenging to address. This is basically to prevent, prevent our healthcare system from being stretched beyond capacity. It doesn't solve our issues. That's why it's not in and of itself an effective solution. Look upstream, sort out where infections are being uh, initiated. And you know, I think if you scratch the surface, you'll find that that's a challenging uh, solution there's challenging solutions to that and they're not easy uh the lo- shutting things down as awful as it is is a lever that you can pull and unfortunately that lever had to be pulled to prevent our healthcare system from being overwhelmed yeah i think that it, but you got it I, I think what she was also getting at is the uh, the time frames that are offered 14 days 28 days uh yeah it's, you know it, it's difficult it to take some time yeah. Look at but how do they know? I mean, how do you know it's going to be 14 or 28 days? Uh, do you set do you set a target? I guess you set a target number, right? I think let me get a, let me get on to another question for you though. Sure. Uh, this this is an email that came in from Lynn, and she asks about the uh, the uh, mRNA vaccine, mm-hmm. and uh, th- that's a that's a new reality, is it not? Is that how does that work? How does the RNA work? Does it, is there does it interact with the core of the cells? I don't want to get too deep into biology here because I don't okay, know what I'm talking get, about. Let's talk I have about no idea what I'm talking about. No, so here's what you do. <laughs> I'll try to explain this as easy as possible. You inject mRNA. It gets inside the cells. Your body's cells will use that and make a product that looks like the virus it'll look like at least a component of the virus now that little thing that your body made that looks like a component of the virus but isn't the virus is floating around your body and then your body's immune cells say holy crap that looks like a virus let's attack it and it does and your body's immune cells now can recognize the virus now of course you never got the virus you've got a little thing that looks like the virus but it's not the virus so when you're actually exposed to the virus your immune cells will say, oh, I've seen that before, attack. And they do. And then you don't get infected. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't change the, uh, the internal structure of your cells? No, not at all. It just uses the internal structure of the cells to make something that looks like the virus. 
What about the testing issue? We hear this over and over and over, the different component parts of testing. Should we do it this way? Should we do it that way? Should there be antibody testing? Do we do the regular testing that's been done for the last 10 months? Where are we going with that, and and what do we actually need? So at a fundamental level, we need to increase our capacity to do diagnostic testing. If people are sick or have an exposure, they should be able to get a diagnostic test without any hurdles or barriers and have the results back within 24 hours. That's priority number one. And that would be helpful. And we don't actually have that in many of our, in many of our hardest hit areas. And, and really the focus is on improving that capacity, which we're, we're in the, we meaning the medical and scientific and lab community is doing right now. Additional to that is looking at, as the first question asked, how do we get antigen testing and rapid testing integrated? That's helpful, but that's supplemental. It's extremely helpful. And certainly we are sitting on a lot of rapid tests now. And I think the provinces are going to start deploying those probably in the weeks ahead because there's many committees that are basically sorting out where and when and how those can be deployed. We have them. They're approved. There's more coming in that the Health Canada is looking at. But uh, I think we'll see those integrated as well shortly. I've asked you this question before, and I'll ask it again, because it's very interesting, to I think, to most of us. We listen to you almost every weekend on this program, and again, thank you for taking the time. What interests you? Where is your focus? What, what fascinates you about, because this is your field, what fascinates you about where we are and what's going on and what's going on? Honestly, it's vaccines. It's vaccines, because I'm, <laughs> full disclosure, I'm as sick of this as anyone else. Like, I mean, I love talking to you, Roy, but like if there comes a weekend where you've got so many other news stories because COVID-19 is looked after and under control, I think that would be the best day ever. And I'm happy to chat with you at any time. But uh, but I'm really excited about vaccines because that is our ticket out of the mess that we're in. And they are right around the corner. I'm following that very closely, looking at the trials, looking at what's coming through the pipeline, looking at the logistics behind deploying these in Canadian settings. That's really the most exciting thing for me right now. Yeah, there's the cool science and the neat clinical aspects of it that are interesting, but I, I'm, I think the vaccines are the biggie for me now. Well, you know that when we get to the point that COVID-19 is no longer the dominant topic of discussion, may that be soon, you and I are going out for beer and wings. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I'll buy. Uh, oh, yeah, good. I was expecting that. <laughs> If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.